At a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, August 11th, 2022 edition, and I am Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour, and I'm excited to have you drive this conversation with your finance and investment questions. And the phone number you'll want to use, as always, to call me 24 7 365. It's 888 chart. And I've got a packed podcast today. And my focus point concerns the story behind this headline. On rare days, the market rises as much as 5 to 10%. So we're going to look at some data to give you some perspective on when these big days typically happen and what that means for your overall strategy. And this is coming from a Wells Fargo analyst that looked at the best 20 days from 1992 to July of this year. Hint. Half of those days come during bear markets. Now, time permitted, we'll dig into other topics as well, including how will this new Inflation Reduction Act, which, um, you know, you, it, you can argue whether it's going to actually have an impact or not, but what it will have an impact on is the drug industry. And we're going to dig into that and what companies are going to be hurt the most. Also, I want to follow up something I didn't get to yesterday, which was the digital dollar and what is the progression for that and the timeline for that potentially to hit, uh, you know, hit hit the market. And then lastly, there's another test of antitrust uh, coming up, and it's Amazon's acquisition of iRobot, and data will take center stage on. Uh, and that's why most of these tech companies are buying other companies is for data. And so we're going to look at what that deal looks like and where the hurdles might be and what that mean might mean for acquisitions by other large tech firms. Now, that's what's on my mind. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. And I have some caller voice bank questions ready to play as well. We're going to look at Sunoco products as well as First Trust Water ETF. We're going to get to those. And I've got this all planned for this episode. And of course, I'll take your live calls as well. 888-99-CHART is the number to reach out and talk to me and ask your question. Now, let's take a look at the market today with the S&P down about three points. And it was the first sign of, hey, this rally is getting a little exhausted and we moved a long way in a relatively short period of time. You know, the S&P bottomed on, what was that, uh, June 17th and now we're in August 11th. So under two months, we've rallied from 3,600 all the way to 4,200. So 
you know, nearly a 20% rally over that time. And that's, that's a big move. Uh, we've worked out, worked off the oversold condition, and now we're getting into slightly overbought conditions in the near term. I've talked about we, we, we have uh, overhead resistance, and we started to get into that today. And we, 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 we re, it was rejected to some degree. Now, the positive is that it wasn't on high volume. So that was kind of a good thing that there wasn't this big reversal that everyone was just dumping shares. It was actually less volume than we had yesterday on the up move. So, uh, and we didn't close below yesterday's low. You know, I think that will be kind of the near term um, mark because there is a big gap. Uh, there's a gap from uh, yesterday's move on the inflation figure. And you know, are we just digesting this move right now? Or is this a true reversal? We won't know that you won't know that in one day. Um, right now, it's TBD. What we do know is we are in some t- into some upside uh, resistance on the charts. And a lot of the peak bearishness uh, in June has been it didn't worked off a lot of uh, systematic funds have added back flow, added, added back exposure to equities because volatility has come down. And, um, you know, overall, that's positive. Now, the volatility index was up a little bit today, but still just a minor increase uh, from yesterday's big drop in the volatility, which is positive for equities. So overall, just kind of a, a pullback consolidation day, uh, potential for a near-term peak, but really no, not a whole lot of signs for me that are giving me that indication. Now let's get to our first caller question now. Hey, Justin or Steve, this is Tarun from the Bay Area. One of your opinions on Sunoco Products Company, it's a ticker symbol, S as in Sierra, O as in Oscar, and as in Nancy. I'm looking at to buy or start a position in this dividend growth stock perspective. So looking at at least 15% compounded annual growth for the next five years or so, along, including the dividends, of course. Let me know what are your thoughts. Oh, here on your podcast. Thank you. All right. Looking at Sunoco, and they manufacture a variety of consumer, industrial, protective, and healthcare packaging products. And so it's a, it's in the packaging business and historically they're a pretty profitable company. Return on equity currently is at about 22. It's long-term median is 14 long-term average around 11. So, you know, mid teens return on equity, pretty solid, uh, over the, the long term. So I, I like that and good cash flow and free cash flow about 76 million trailing 12 months free cat or uh, cash from operations 381 million on a 6.2 billion dollar market cap so you know it, it certainly isn't uh, at a low multiple enterprise value to EBITDA right around 10 and a half right now it's median over the past five years right around 10 and a half so it's uh, I wouldn't say it's drastically undervalued or overvalued uh, the technicals are are decent. Relative strength is nice at about eighty four. I like that. Now earnings are expected to be six dollars and thirteen cents this year, but you're starting to see some deceleration expectations next year, down five percent uh, next year. So 
Overall, I like the yield 3.1%. I like the consistent profitability. Um, it, I don't think it's expensive. I don't think it's cheap. It's probably, it, you know, it's near fairly valued. Um, so, but, but, you know, a fairly valued com value company, quality company that has good uh, business fundamentals, business dynamics, uh, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. So Sonoco, S-O-N is the symbol. Now we're heading into a break. Steve Peasley and I are happy to play your recorded voice bank questions and we take live calls as well. Our number never changes and we never close. So give Invest Talk a call at 888 chart Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better? Which of these would you recommend? Because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice. I was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here. When do I know the right time to take profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction. I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want. I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it. Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. The stock market is volatile. It's constantly changing. So how are you positioned? Is your portfolio properly balanced? Or are you taking unnecessary risks? You can get guidance anytime for free if you go to investtalk.com and take the brief Riskalyze quiz. Now my focus point concerns the story behind this headline. On rare days, the market rises as much as 5 to 10%. And this is from a Wells Fargo analyst looked at 20 days or looked at the past 30 years, basically, from 9, August 92 to July of this year and found 20 days where the market did move over 5%. Now, almost half of those were during bear markets. For example, the biggest day over the last 30 years was October 28, 2008 after the, the 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 package to kind of save the economy was uh was announced and you saw a big rally from very oversold levels now ultimately we went lower and bottomed in early 2019 so it wasn't like you know uh, you didn't find a better buying opportunity later but um you did see a big move then march of 2020 march 24th during the COVID pandemic shutdowns, the SP rose 9% on that one single day. And uh, this is this is the trend here, is that during extreme market events where volatility is picking up, remember volatility works both ways. And when there's extreme pessimism and there can be just hints of potential optimism around a particular uh, major market uh, event, then you can have typically short covering rallies. And that's why these tend to, these, these strong rallies, these strong moves in the market tend to happen during 
during bear markets is because there's a lot of shorts. There are a lot of people that are positioned negatively in the market and you get an upside surprise. Yesterday is a good example, right? A lot of people worried about Fed tightening and slowdown in the economy, et cetera, and positioned bearishly. And then you get a an inflation print that was not quite as bad as everyone had been expecting. And you get a big move like yesterday. Um, so um, that's that's one lesson you can take away from it. Another is that Markets don't digest big news instantly. It takes a little while. So a lot of people think, you know, there's that whole uh, random walk down Wall Street. Oh, the market discounts the news immediately and all data that's known and it's perfectly efficient. Uh -uh. It's clear that that, but that that book is pretty bunk. Uh, but it's even more clear when you start to look at earnings announcements and major market news that usually takes a few days for the market really to kind of digest the data and come up with projections, make their trades, and you know, the market kind of settles out. And so, uh, the, you know, when you get that level of volatility, that's when you you get those big up days. Now, how do you select them? How do you, how do you find the days where the market's going to be up big? Well, that's very difficult. Obviously, timing the market's very hard, especially capturing just those uh, th those big days, five, 10% days. And, you know, missing those days can have a big impact. And that's why, you know, you don't want to panic. Uh, you want to have a general plan. And that's why we favor more of sector rotation, being overweight and underweight particular sectors that are going to do well based on the economic backdrop. And so you need to, um, you know, it's not a lot of people tried to go on or off, right? You're either long or you're short. You're either in cash or you're invested. And for most people, it should be about incremental changes based on the risk tolerance levels, their goals, the economic backdrop, um, the weightings in their portfolio. You know, a, a part of their portfolio does very well for a short period of time. And uh, it's getting pretty, everyone's talking about how great the sector is, for example, or the asset class. Well, that's typically a time where you want to be taking some profits, rebalancing. The, my grand, one of my favorite sayings my grandpa was always buy when there's sellers and sell when there's buyers. And unfortunately, most people don't take that advice. They don't. They buy the hype, they see the headlines, and they think that their big gains are gonna just going to continue. Um, and odds are good that uh, there's a reversion to the mean and you want to be reducing your uh, exposure when times are good in a particular sector versus when times are bad. Now we're heading into a break and my phone lines are open and ready for you. So I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. Hey, Stephen Justin, wanted to get your opinion on a stock, AMRK, AMARK, Precious Metals Company. I have a probably 5 or 6% position in it in my portfolio. Pretty young, so. 
I'm a little bit higher risk investor, but wanted to get your guys' outlook on it. It seems to have a pretty low PE ratio, make pretty good money, and have fairly consistent earnings. So let me know what you think. Thanks. All right, this is Amark Precious Metals, and it's a precious metal trading company, meaning they're engaged in the wholesale of gold, silver, platinum, palladium, bullion, and related products, bars, wafers, coins, grains, etc. And you know what? I kind of like it. It's businesses uh, booming post-pandemic as inflation's picked up. People more worried about uh, the economy and inflation. And I just know uh, this personally. Now the business says, or uh, business earnings are expected to moderate in the next uh, couple of years, but still well above where we were pre-pandemic. And so I'm going to give, and the, the, the relative strength is good, 89. Uh, so uh, good profitability, no dividend, but relatively small market cap, 817 million. And Ford PE is seven times. So I'm going to give a mark, AMRK, a thumbs up. So we're going to go to Alberto in San Jose. Let's talk about Apple. Yes, hello. Thank you for taking my call. Love your show. So there's a, been a certain rally the last couple of weeks, months. Um, I bought uh, Apple on the dip. Mm-hmm. I have gained around two grand. So my question is, uh, should I take profits? Uh, I I just love to, to hear your opinion on that. Well, are you a long-term investor or are you a trader? I'm a long-term investor, but I know that you've mentioned and and on the show that we should take profits and rebalance. So I think two grand is is an okay quantity that maybe I should take that profit and, and reallocate and rebalance. Well, once again, it's not all or nothing. Uh, you could rebalance. Rebalance is say, okay, I bought it. It was 3% of my portfolio. It's gone up. Now it's 4%, 5%. Now you just uh, trim it back to three. Take a little bit of profits off the table. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, so that's probably what I would do. We still like Apple. Uh, it's probably the best large cap growth company that's out there. Uh, probably the best, most uh, secure platform when it comes to iOS and the iPhone. Uh, just dominant market share and, and consistently profitable. So uh, I wouldn't be selling all of it, but this is a good time to make rebalance uh, to reduce your allocation to something that you feel more comfortable longer term. So don't look at it as, oh, I'm up $2,000. Always look at it big picture, overall asset allocation. Okay, thanks for the call. Let's go to John in North Carolina. Let's talk about Playboy. Yeah, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on the latest earnings release. I I listened to the conference call. Um, It was kind of underwhelming at the same time. The long-term thesis, I think, is is probably intact. The brand is pretty valuable. I think the stock market cap's at like $350 million. Mm-hmm. Um, the revenue growth was still there, but there, there seemed to be a little bit of a sense of disappointment on the conference call. I just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, we were definitely disappointed. Uh, so I agree that uh, it's the brand is worth a lot more. Right, the Playboy brand, the second most recognized yeah. brand in the world, uh, is probably worth more than two hundred fifty-one million dollars, which is the current market cap. Even if you go based on yeah. enterprise value, which is at five hundred million, still worth well north of that. But it's about execution, and the current management team, they frankly have they've executed on the top line fairly well. They, like you said, pretty good earnings, mm-hmm. uh, revenue growth, uh, especially when it comes to 
their direct consumer uh, side of the business, as well as their centerfold platform, those are are are, are doing well. Uh, their licensing, not so much. Uh, part of that are economic headwinds. Yeah. Um, you know, with uh, you know casino uh, revenue and things like that, um, but you know, really where the disappointment was is on the expense side. They're just spending too much money. Their SG&A costs were far higher than they should have been. Um, they issue more shares uh, to, you know, executives, which, you know, in, in this environment, uh, I think is really uncalled for. So I just don't see them. I just don't. I, I That was my biggest disappointment. So we're definitely under, uh, it's under review for us. Um, because when you can't execute, when you can only execute on one side of the business, especially in this environment, the most important side to execute on is the expense side. And they didn't do that in any way, shape or form. So either there needs to be new management or uh, they need to shape up. Um, and because the brand clearly has value, they're able to drive top line growth with their brand very easily. Um, it's just about keeping the expenses in line with that growth. And, and they're just not doing that. Now, the positive technically is you had massive volume yesterday, absolutely massive volume, which is kind of capitulatory in, in my mind. Um, so we're definitely watching from a technical perspective to see if, uh, you know, they can, can get a, a reversal in the next uh, few days, um, uh, but also reviewing uh, the fundamentals of the quarter as well. So definitely a disappointing um, uh, execution on the expense side for management. Thanks for the call. Now, on the next Invest Talk, the story behind this headline. One shocking chart shows wild price swings and difficulty with predictions. Inflation is falling, but it's not happening evenly across all goods and services. So we'll talk about that story tomorrow. But for now, I'm ready for your calls live at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion 
and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com slash today. You are listening to Invest Talk. We've seen the markets go up, then down, sideways, and around. It's called volatility. And if you're a serious investor, you'll have finance and investment questions for Justin Klein. He's here now taking your calls live. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Now, when people take the time to leave an Invest Talk podcast review on iTunes, we like to thank them for the courtesy by getting to their questions that they leave with their review quickly. And AD1966 says, what's your opinion on Texas Roadhouse as a long-term dividend play? So this is TXRH, mid-cap company, about $6.3 billion market cap, yields about 2%. And they've been kind of a secular grower over uh, the last uh, few years or so. If you look at their revenue numbers, let's look at their revenue numbers. They've steadily increased. Trailing 12 months is about $3.7 billion. And when they went public in 2004, they were only at $300 million. So just consistently growing their revenue over time, which I like. Now, their profitability has been steady as well. Return on equity right now is at about 24%. Its median is 17%. Its average over the last five years is 16.5%. So overall, their profitability has been strong. Now, they clearly struggled during the pandemic, but bounced back quickly. Earnings were at 350 last year, 389 in tw- uh, this year expected, and $4.62 next year. And they were only making $2.46 in 2019 before the pandemic. So they have minimal debt. uh, And I'm going to give this overall a thumbs up. Um, It's certainly not on the cheaper side. uh, But I like that secular growth enterprise value to EBITDA currently is at about 14. And that's right around the long term median. So uh, it's about fairly valued. And it uh, is a very strong company. So I'm going to give Texas Roadhouse a thumbs up. And this is a good example. It's 2% dividend. It's not about getting the biggest dividend. It's about having companies that can grow their business, that have good cash flows, and can grow that dividend over time. And if you look at the dividend payout, uh, actually, let me see this, go to a different chart. 
the dividend amount is now 46 cents and 2011 is the first time they paid it and it was eight cents. So they've been growing it over the past decade and they've more than quadrupled it, right? So doing very, very well. Um, so I'm gonna give Texas Roadhouse a thumbs up. Now we're gonna go to James in New York. He wants to talk about DLR, which is Digital Realty Trust. Yes, um, I, I own it and I'm thinking of maybe adding to it. I like the dividend. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I have it in my IRA, so I thought maybe I might add to that. If you think that this is a good point to do that, or should I wait for it to drop a little lower? Well, this is a name that we do own for clients, so we like it, and uh, I do think it's relatively cheap down here. Enterprise value to EBITDA currently at sixteen point seven. Its long term average is about twenty one, and long term median is about twenty one and a half. So. It's currently at about a 20% discount from those typical levels, 20, 25% discount. So I'm going to say, yes, this is a good area to pick up more of Digital Realty DLR. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot over to the Inflation Reduction Act. And the main part of it is the healthcare or the uh, prescription drug uh, negotiation aspect. And these, this is uh, a big win, uh, I think, for taxpayers and the government uh, fighting back against the, the lobby, the, the, the prescription drug lobby. And starting in 2026, Medicare is going to now be able to negotiate for better prices. And now in 2026, that's not I wouldn't call that soon, but at least it's on the books to be done. The issue I have, though, is that gives four years for this to be walked back in some way. And that's my uh, biggest worries. But if you look at the companies that it's going to impact, Eli Lilly, AbbVie, AstraZeneca, and more, they'll be in the first wave of the medicines facing those negotiations. Now, the package would introduce a $2,000 cap on annual out-of-pocket costs for patients. It would also penalize drug makers that raise prices above the rate of inflation. And this is all because the list price in the U.S. uh, for 20 commonly prescribed branded drugs were two to four times higher than Australia, France, or Canada. And this was based on a report published by the U.S. Government Accountability Office. Now, the country spends $574 billion on medicines last year. That's nearly half of the global total. Think about that. We have, what, 10%? No, not less than 10% of the global population and probably less than 20% of the global developed uh, world. And we're paying nearly half of all money that goes to pharmaceutical companies. Pretty crazy. Now, this is going to cost the industry about $270 billion over a decade. And it estimated, it's estimated by the Congressional Budget Office to produce savings worth about $100 billion. So that two seventy is not just about the, um, the, the, the price reductions, but also the caps on the expected increase in uh, drug prices currently. Why? You know, so they're going to act, actually have to cap the amount that they could increase 
uh, their prices. Now, Medicare will be allowed to negotiate prices for a limited number of branded medicines. And it's scheduled to begin with 10 drugs in 2026, 15 drugs in 2027 and 2028, and then 20 each year from 2018, or sorry, 2029 onward. And if companies uh, increase their prices above their the inflation, they're going to be hit with an excise tax, excise tax. And, you know, industry executives are, are spooked. And the drugs most likely to be affected will be AbbVie's blood cancer drug, Imbruvica, uh, Amgen's rheumatoid arthritis drug, Enbrel, and AstraZeneca's cancer drug, Tegriso. So good example is that Celgene also has a drug called Revlimid, which is Rev Revlimid, which is a cancer drug, and they raised the price from two hundred fifty dollars, fifteen dollars per pill in two thousand five to seven hundred and sixty three dollars by twenty nineteen, and this is just another example. Of drug companies, you know, that's how they're ramping up their their profits, and so. This is why when a lot of people call about these drug companies, I go, I would be very, very weary of uh, these branded pharmaceutical firms that are have huge margins, huge cash flows because of this. Um, you know, the Medicare is not going to be the cash cow that it once was. You know, the Prescription Drug Act of 2003, which basically said that Medicare cannot, uh, that cannot uh, negotiate with these drug companies, well, this is being walked back. So uh, that 2003 act is, you know, no longer going to be this big tailwind for the pharmaceutical industry. Now let's get back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank that came in earlier at 888.99 chart. Hi, can I have your thought on buying this ETF for a long-term investment? F-I-W, F-I-W. Thank you so much. All right, looking at FIW First Trust Water ETF, and you know it's a it's a good broad base, broad exposure to the the water industry and water utilities, and you're going to get consistency here. You're not going to get a huge yield. The current yield is right around one percent, so not a huge uh, yielder on that front, um, but these companies tend to be relatively consistent. And you're talking about 57% will be in industrials, I like that, 21% utilities, 11% healthcare, 4% in technology. So I like that overall breakdown. Now, a lot of the names in the top 10 are a little overvalued or fairly valued, so I don't think it's cheap. Um, but as part of a diversified portfolio, as you know, a little bit of a sliver of your utility slash uh, industry, industrial uh, exposure, this is not a bad way to go. Thanks for the call. 888.99 chart, 888.992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question before we close up for the day. Now let's pivot over to the digital dollar. And this is a proposal by a bipartisan group of lawmakers that are part of the House Financial Services Committee. Committee. Democrat Maxine Waters, as well as French Hill, a Republican from Arkansas, are pushing the government to counter global competitors by launching a digital version of the U.S. dollar. 
And they're basically saying this is a competition for the digital asset space. And the Biden administration, though, doesn't share the same type of urgency, and neither does the Fed chair Jerome Powell. And he said that central bank isn't in a rush, and it's worried about inflation and the economy. And he said it's more important to get the digital dollar right than be first to market because of the role of the digital dollar or the dollar in general as the global reserve currency. And the White House has remained kind of neutral. And they've ordered a study to determine the implications of for economic growth and stability. And, you know, the banking lobby is also pushing back hard on this because they make a lot of money by being more in control of the flow of, of dollars. And so if the flow of dollars becomes a lot easier because it's more digital, then that could hit the banking industry. Now, what they're saying is that uh, the cost of central bank digital currency outweighs the benefits and it would directly compete with private bank deposits, which makes loans more expensive. That is their argument. So it would draw reserves out of the banking system. I don't think that's necessarily true. The way, you, Depending on the way you set it up, you could have reserves on bank balance sheets as a part of this launch. Um, and there's serious debate of whether the that whether the status of the dollar could be threatened by the digital currency space. Now you see the the fraud that's happening uh, there. I don't really see that as a near term problem, but I do see longer term our payments becoming more digital and more controlled by government, whether you like it or not. Remember, I always say. It's not about what you want to happen, it's what is likely to happen. And this is the direction I see. And that's why I see companies like Visa and MasterCard, the companies that are reliant on the way that we transact digitally now, which is typically through a credit card. I think those have some longer term structural risks. Uh, if this picks up steam, if it goes from more just studying to beginning to implement it, that could mean bad, bad things for the Visa and MasterCards of the world. Now, once again, I don't see that happening near, near term, but medium, long term, certainly a, a risk. And uh, this would uh, make it easier to move money across borders. And there, there are already a lot of countries studying this. Among the 20 major economies, 16 are, are in development or pilot phase of digital currencies. The ECB, the European Central Bank, they're exploring designs for a digital euro and preparing for a test pilot launch very soon. And China already began their test testing their own CBDC in 2020. And they haven't ruled out the international use of what they call the eCNY, uh, which is the official name for the country's digital currency. And so this is a trend that you, you definitely need to watch because it's going to impact the finance world in a big, big way. And there can be a lot of winners and there are going to be a lot of losers. And the losers will be those that are deeply entrenched in the current transaction business for the way that we move money today. Now, I think it's safe to say that a lot of people are amazed how the investment environment has changed over the past year and over the past couple of months. And you know, just when the headlines get the most bearish, that's typically when you rally. When the headlines get the most bullish, that's typically when the risk kind of picks up. When you're the happiest with yourself, 
that's when you should probably be the most worried and vice versa. So, you know, there's a lot of psychology to this uh, and there's a lot of data that you need to have and you need to compute in order to understand whether your portfolio is aligned with your goals, aligned with your risk tolerance level, aligned with the economic backdrop that we are in. So if you need help understanding whether you are aligned correctly for all of those things, I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, meaning we invest right alongside our clients, and we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air, and we provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go-to-meeting to any of our listeners who want to take us up on it. You can send us a message through investtalk.com or call our office at 800-557-5461. We'd love to help you in any way. And the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can help you get your situation and your portfolio optimized for your goals, your risk tolerance level, and the economic environment. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday, and that's to educate you, to give you some perspective, give you the data for you to make good investment decisions and to work towards your own version of financial freedom, which is a little bit different for everybody. Everyone's destination is a little bit different and everyone's starting place is a little bit different. So we're here to give you the tools and our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck, because Justin Klein is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, this is Roy, and I'm calling from Central Valley in California. This question is for the panel, either Justin the stock that I'm calling about, the symbol is L as in love, A as in apple, uh, C as in Charlie. And I would like to know, it's above the 50-day moving average, and recently it went above the 200-day moving average. I would like to know your long-term perspective on the company. Thank you, and I'll listen for your answer on the podcast. All right, this is Lithium Americas Corporation, and it's a Canadian-based company that's focused on advancing two lithium projects in Argentina as well as in Nevada. So it's more of a, an exploratory company because they don't have any revenue, and they are losing money, but they are expected to start making money next year, and that's really what this is all about is that speculation, uh, but it's not something that I would tie myself to. Uh, that there's there's a lot of potential hiccups for from a product like that, and you know I would need to know what their ultimate potential profit could be from these mines uh, and what the the long term uh, you know viability of the mines and, and output of the mines would be, and so I don't really have that in front of me. Um, what I will say about lithium in general, it's just not my favorite place to invest when it comes to trying to capitalize on. EVs. Uh, there's going to be higher demand for lithium, but lithium is pretty abundant. It's everywhere. It's assault. So I don't really think that this is something that's going to be a, a great buy 
uh, long term. So I'm passing, and, and it peaked. It peaked in in December of uh, last year, actually late November, and has made a series of lower lows and lower highs. So it's now in a downtrend. So losing money, no revenue, in a downtrend. I'm passing. Now, lastly, let's touch on this deal from Amazon to buy iRobot for $1.7 billion. And Amazon clearly has the idea that they're going to get even deeper into their home, into your homes, not just with the Alexa speakers, which are stagnant, but ring doorbells that they have already. So they know what's happening at your front door. And they also have a current robot called Astro. And so iRobot is more of a data play. And the big question is, how will Lena Khan, the chair of the USFTC for the last 14 months, how will she handle this particular deal? And in her 2017 paper, she argued for a more expansive approach to antitrust enforcement. And she's been acting more aggressively to counter vertical integration. And which which these vertical deals are um, are a problem in digital markets, she argues, mainly because tech companies have powers to shut down, shut out rival apps that rely on access to a particular platform. And you're seeing that now with the Apple um, ice, uh, App Store uh, and what power they have over over the apps. And she warned that the data acquired in one market could be used by the company against other competitors in other markets where those competitors don't have access to the same type of data. So this is kind of one of those. Why? Because what other device is going to tell or how would other competitor to Amazon be able to know, for example, the size of someone's living room, right? The length of someone's couch the color of someone's chair, right? So that's what iRobot is doing, right? The Roomba, it's going around, it's sucking up, uh, you know, dirt, but it's also collecting a lot of data that can be sent back to Amazon. Now, Alina Khan has already tackled some vertically integrated deal-making, such as Facebook trying to buy the VR exercise app called Supernatural, and uh, that's that's one thing. Uh, Google just had a loss; is having a lawsuit as well. And so, I, I just see this as a lot of these tech companies. They have a lot of money; they have a lot of cash to go do these deals. But it's clear that the FTC is ready to block a lot of them. And frankly, you know, from a competitive standpoint, that's probably the appropriate stance. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review. And we are now over the 44 million mark, thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. 
Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.